0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we're beginning this year with a series we're calling Vital Signs. And it's uh, dealing with some of the key areas of our lives and um, And making an assessment on how we're doing. The first of every year is is kind of a good time to kind of take stock and and, uh, kind of evaluate your life and where you're going and how you're doing in certain areas. And so what we've done through this series is um, taken some of those key areas. And we started in week one just talking about your spiritual life and spiritual health. And that has to do with your relationship with God and, and ways of assessing how am I doing in that relationship. And then week two, we talked about our personal relationships with other people and about relational health. And last week, we talked about emotional health and, and being emotionally healthy and how to assess that. And uh, one of the things that we've seen through this whole series is how integrally uh, connected these all are, that, that they really do affect one another. And today, we're going to talk about one area that may not seem at first glance to be that connected uh, to all the others, um, but it really is. Today we're going to be talking about financial health and, um, and really is connected to all these other areas. For instance, um, your, your financial health affects your emotional health. And if you don't believe that, let me just ask you, what do you worry about most? <laughs> it affects your emotions. It really does. Um, it, it's, uh, uh, let me ask you this one. Um, how do you feel when you got your W-2 statement and saw how much taxes was taken out? It affects your emotions, okay? It affects our relationships as well. It is one of the leading causes of marital conflict. It's in the top three of reasons for divorce. Uh, it affects our relationships. You don't have, Watch a few episodes of Judge Judy and see how many friendships and families have been destroyed by unpaid loans, it affects your relational health. And it actually affects your spiritual health. You think, no, 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 it has nothing to do with it. Oh, yes, it does. That's why Jesus talked more about your finances and possessions than any other single topic. In fact, he said, your, your pursuit, pursuit of wealth, your, your, your striving after uh, wealth and possessions, that is the number one conflict, uh, that competitor that God has for your heart. So he talked about it in those things. It's a critical area of our lives and it needs to be kept healthy. And so today we're going to be talking about that. uh, And we're going to be looking at a passage. It's actually from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. It's in our Bible uh, as it's called 1 Timothy. It's the first letter that we have of Paul writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young pastor. And so in this letter... Paul gives him some instructions in general about financial health, but then he also says to him, here's the things you need to teach your church. So like, if you don't like this sermon, it's not my fault, okay? Uh, This is is what Paul said, that we as pastors are supposed to teach you people. So um, if you want to follow along, it's 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it's actually towards the end of this letter, uh, beginning in verse 6, and let me just read it to you if you don't have yours with you. life. Paul gives these instructions to Timothy, but then he says, this is what you need to teach people when it comes to financial health. And by the way, if you're here today, and this is your first time, or second time, or you're not a Christ follower, you don't consider yourself a believer, you just came here, and maybe you're just kind of investigating the whole thing. I just want to tell you, this works for you too, okay? It really does, because I really do believe that the Bible is very, very practical. It is meant to be applicable to our lives. It is kind of God's instruction to us. And this is how he intended our life to be. And and it's truth whether you believe it or not. And you can put these principles into your own life whether you're a Christ follower or not. But if you are a Christ follower, it is absolutely imperative that you get this and that I get this. And what we have done through this whole series is with each point, I've kind of given you a chance to kind of evaluate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10. So if you have your outlines there in the bulletin, you can pull it out. Or if you go online um, or use the app, you can follow along there. But I really want you to take these and just assess your own life. You don't have to share it with anybody else. Except maybe your husband or wife if you're married. But, but, but really just take an assessment. How am I doing when it comes to financial health? And I'm going to give you three areas to consider. And then a question for each one of them. And the first one we're going to talk about is contentment. And the question when it comes to contentment is, am I living within my means? Am I living within my means? See, contentment is a sense of satisfaction. It's drawing the line or setting the bar and saying, enough. This is enough and it's learning to live right there and Paul put it this way he said godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it great gain actually it's it's in, in, in the original language it's it's one word and literally translated it would be it, it is a mega acquisition in other words, if you get this, if you get hold of contentment, if you, if you understand this idea of contentment, it, it solves just about everything else. It's a huge acquisition if you can get there. And it has nothing to do, by the way, with how much. It has nothing to do with how much. He goes on. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Let me ask you, how much did you bring into the world? You need a hint? It's, it's right there. <laughs> nothing. And how much do you expect to take with you when you leave? Nothing. I have performed well over 100 funerals in my life in ministry. I have yet to see a U-Haul truck hooked up to a a hearse. I have yet to see it. Because you can't take anything with you. What he's saying is when it comes to your financial health in this life, it's a wash. So what you need to do is develop this idea of contentment. So he goes on and he says this. But if we have food and clothing... We will be content with that. If we have food or clothing, we'll be content with that. Have you ever stood in front of your refrigerator or, or your cupboard and you opened it up and you look through all the stuff that's there and say, "There is nothing in this house to eat"? Anybody ever done that? Yeah. Okay. Finish this sentence: Standing in front of a closet filled with clothes and you say, "I have nothing to wear." Yes or my wife, shelves of shoes. I have no shoes that goes with this outfit. I need a new pair of shoes. If I have a pair of deck shoes, a pair of dress shoes, and a pair of casual shoes, I am content. See, that's contentment. Is, that's I have enough. Contentment is really a choice. It's an old joke. Maybe you've heard this. Who is more content? The man with 12 million dollars or the man with 12 children. The man with 12 children, because he doesn't want any more. <laughs> That's contentment. <laughs> Enough. You have to see, we have to find a, a place, we draw a line and say, Enough. And just learn to live with contentment. It's a choice, it's a change in our attitude. It has nothing to do with the amount, That has to do with our attitude. You choose contentment. And, and by the way, when you do that, you are swimming upstream because the tide of our culture is filled with discontent. In fact, retailers and merchandisers spend millions and millions of dollars every year trying to stir up discontent. Paul says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, God is not stingy. He is not a miser. That Paul goes on and he tells Timothy this. He says, talk to your people, command them, command to put their hope in God who what? Richly provides. Not miserly, not stingily, but richly provides us with everything for what? Our enjoyment. God has provided us more than we need. Truthfully, truthfully. We all have more than we really need. And if you're kind of angry at those one percenters, let me just tell you, compared to the rest of the world, if you live in the United States, you are a one percenter. Doesn't that make you feel good? But I don't have enough. No, you you do. You just gotta learn contentment. How do you do that? You live within your means. How do you live within your means? You develop a budget. Because you can't live within your means unless you know your means. (laughs) And a budget is just simply, these are the means that I have to live. Now, back in October, we did a whole series. This, this sermon today is just scratching the surface. We did a whole series. And if you weren't here through the month of October, I really encourage you to go back. It was the ABCs of Financial Freedom. It's based on a book by Barry Cameron. We actually had him come, and he, he shared the last sermon in that series. Um, and we have some books that we gave out from that. It's a, there's a book about it, and then there's a workbook that housed how to put together a budget how to get out of debt, how to do all those things. And if you weren't here in October, we have these available to you. We make no money on this. In fact, we're selling them at a loss. Um, But you can pick them up at the information desk for five bucks, the workbook and the book together. And it will help you establish a budget. Now, I know some people say, no, no, but a budget is too confining. It's going to tell me what I can't buy. It's going to make my life miserable. It's such a pain. No, real misery and real pain is not living within a budget. You want to know pain and misery? That's where it's at. So on your paper there, on a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to living within your means, where would you mark yourself? Second area has to do with debt. And the question to ask yourself in this one is, am I free from or am I trapped in debt? In the same way that living within our means um, is swimming upstream, so is getting out of debt. We live in a culture that encourages debt. We don't call it debt. We call it credit. But when you buy something on credit, it puts you in debt. Yes, that's how it works. The credit card that you have is not a credit card. It's a debt card. And the next time you go to use it, just say, okay, I'm putting myself in debt. Well, maybe I don't want to do that. Look at what Paul said. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, we have a 21st century spin on this one. Because you see, you don't need to want to get rich anymore. You can just pretend you're rich. That's what a credit card does. I am buying things that I can't afford. I am pretending to be rich. And it puts you in debt, and it puts you in slavery. We have taken this to a whole new level. And the results are the same. It's a temptation and a trap. We are lured in by our own desires, foolish and harmful desires, He says, here's what's foolish about it. The moment you buy something on credit and you walk out the door with it, it loses some of its value, like right away. And when you're putting it on a credit card and you're paying it off, over, there's interest. So you're actually ending up paying more for something that's worth less. That's called foolish. And believe me, I know it firsthand. I've been foolish. I read this this week. I don't know if it's true, but I read it on the internet, so it's got to (laughs) be. But I read this week that Sears actually makes more on credit payments than it does on selling merchandise. Now, like I said, I don't know. I read it on the internet, so it's got to be. I don't know for sure if it's true, but I have a feeling it is. And when you hear things like, 12 months, same as cash, interest-free. If you pay it off in 12 months, interest-free, same as cash. No, it's not. No, it's not. Cash is the same as cash. <laughs> Credit is not. Most people, 88% of people, do not pay it off in that 12 months and end up paying more than they originally wanted to. He says that's foolish, and it leads to ruin and destruction. Do you know that over eight hundred and nineteen thousand bankruptcies were filed this last year, just in two thousand six. Sixteen, excuse me. That's ruin and destruction. And it's not just a financial toll that it takes on us. Like I said before, it takes an emotional toll on us. We worry, we we fret, we get angry, we get frustrated by it. It has this emotional toll on us. We already talked about that, and it has a spiritual toll. Paul goes on. He says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Wandered from the faith. It affects your spiritual life. He actually coins a word here. This love of money, it's, a, it's a, three words there. It's actually in the original language, the Greek language, one word. And it's a combination word. The first one is love and the other word is the word for silver. What he's saying is money love is a root of all kinds of evil. Silver love, possessions love, stuff love, wealth love, is a root of all kinds of evil. It puts us on this path and sometimes causes people to wander from the truth. Jesus put it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. How do you get free from this trap? How do you get free from that bondage of debt? You have to have a plan. And by the way, the workbook has that plan for you. First, you got to get honest about it and list all of your debt. Say, this is is what I owe. This is what I owe. All of it. List it all together. And then you need a plan to get out of debt. And you can do this. First thing you do is you have some plastic surgery. (laughs) And you cut the plastic out of your life. (laughs) And then what you do is, if you listen to all of it, take whatever debt you have that has the lowest balance. The lowest balance. Some people say, well, shouldn't I start on the one that has the highest interest rate? No. Start with the one that has the lowest balance. Uh, uh, Ramsey talks about this. Dave Ramsey talks about this in, in his book. Um, and it's actually also here in the ABCs. Because what happens is you want to build momentum. It's called the snowball effect. And what you do is you take that one that has the lowest amount... And you pay everything that you can on that card. And then minimum payments on everything else. And then what happens is you actually pay something off. And you've got momentum now. It's like that snowball rolling downhill. And once you pay that one off, then you take and attack the next one, the next highest balance. And you take whatever you were paying on that lowest one. You add it to the minimum payment on this one. And you start working on that one. And you pay that one off. And then you take the next one and the next one and the next one in that order. And that's the idea. you got to develop a plan. you got to stick to the plan. you got to keep working the plan and get yourself out of that bondage of debt. So on your paper, on a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to debt, where are you? Where are you? Are you free from? Are you trapped in? Or are you actually overwhelmed by debt? Where's your ex? Back in October when we did this, <clears throat> Got a, Since then, actually, we've gotten a number of letters and emails and um, updates on, on where people are at, people who have taken on this thing. And this is one I just want to read you from one couple. It said, We were inspired and excited by the sermon presented by Barry Cameron on the ABCs of Financial Freedom and living more generous lifestyle. We wanted to be able to have the ability to be spontaneously generous with our friends, our church, and people in need. We both worked well-paying jobs prior to retirement. Job stress and time commitments to the jobs kept us from living a more generous lifestyle. So After retirement, we had time and had been scaling back our expenses, but still felt the stress of paying the mortgage and other bills while on a fixed income. We dove into the book and workbook for the ABCs of Financial Freedom, and we made a commitment to God to become debt-free. We prayed for guidance and then evaluated our financial assets, income, monthly bills, and our debt, and put together a plan to become debt-free by the end of February 2017. Through this process, we came to accept that our financial resources were a gift from God, and we truly were managers of God's resource. Our house is big enough, we have enough stuff, and God wants us to be debt-free. There is contentment and peace when you understand you have enough. We paid off our mortgage on January 10th, 2017, and we'll pay off our car on February 5th, 2017. We will now be debt-free. Yeah. They go on. With our financial freedom, we are able to donate our resources, time, and money to support the Bread of Life Project, the Ugandan Famine Relief Project, Hope for Kids, Northgate, care for our mom, and start education funds for our six grandchildren. The money no longer controls us. We control the money. You can do this. It won't be easy. But you can do this. The last one has to do with giving. And the question is this. Do I give generously or grudgingly? Or maybe for some of us, the real question is, do I give? Period. But he says, giving is a part of financial health. And any financial strategy does not include some aspect of giving away is not financially healthy. Paul goes on. says to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. He said, listen, if you're going to get financially healthy, you got to understand some things. Don't put your hope in, this, in, the, in, in wealth. People who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant. Now, why does he write that? Because We have come to equate net worth with self-worth, and they are not the same thing. Sometimes we think people who are wealthier than us, they must be smarter than us. They must be more talented than us. Not necessarily, because net worth and self-worth do not equate. And sometimes people who have more than others think, well, I got my stuff together. Why can't you get it together? That's arrogance. Arrogance says, don't become arrogant or to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. This past week, this past week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average broke the $20,000 barrier. Everybody was cheering. Wow, that's, that's exciting. $20,000. Do you know that the, uh, the last peak was back in 1998, and the amount there was when it broke $16,498. 1998. Anybody remember what happened between 1998 and this last week? Yeah. In between, in 2009, it dropped to 8,000. Lost half its value from 1998. Yeah, it's back up now, but it will go down. It's uncertain. I'm not saying don't invest. I'm just saying, understand, if you put your hope there, it is uncertain. Right now, home values are high again. But not too long ago... They were low. They were up. They were down. Now they're up again. And when they're down, people will be upside down. <laughs> because it's uncertain. And that's what he's saying. Be careful where you are putting your hope. Don't put it there. Put your hope in God who richly provides. He goes on. What does that look like? What does that look like? Command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing To share. See, what does it mean to to not put my hope in my wealth and put my hope in God? It looks like this. You become generous. You give. You become rich in good deeds. Because when I give on a regular basis, it reminds me where my real hope is. When I give on a regular basis, it reminds me to hold a little less tightly to what I still have. Most important is that when we give, we become most like God because he is generous and he is a giver. Way, way, way back, thousands of years ago, God established something for us to do on a regular basis. It's called the tithe. Literally means the 10th part or 10%. And he said, to those who put their trust in me, the first thing you do is you give away 10%. You give back to me. It's already mine. I provided it for you. Now to remind you of that and not to put your hope too much in it, you give back to me. In fact, that's what it says in Deuteronomy. The purpose of the tithe was to teach you to keep God first in everything. That was the purpose for it. It was not intended to be an obligation. It was intended to be and is intended to be training in becoming like God. And that's what, some people, we, we have this argument about 10% is that Old Testament, is that New Testament. That's not the point. It's not meant to be an obligation. It's not meant to be a duty. It's, not, it's meant to be training in generosity and becoming like God because he is generous. Doing this will teach you to put him first. So from actually before we were married, but ever since we have been married, my wife and I, the very first check, the very first outgo, 10% back to the church, back to ministry, back into God's work. And over the years, we have taken on other projects and other things that we wanted to help and, and fund and ministries that we wanted to help. And, and we just got our, put together our tax thing, and, and we, are, we are now like over 20%. Now, I'm not saying that to be proud or um, boasting. I'm just saying, when you make that decision, becomes a lot easier. And you become more and more generous. He says anything that has to do with financial health is going to include giving. I'll give you a couple more letters. Here's one. I don't have time to read them all. In February, Pastor Ken invited us to try the tithe. My wife and I decided, dedicated, are dedicated to our church, but we're dedicated also to saving for retirement and paying off our home. I had always been greedy with my finances, and frankly, it showed. Not with a large savings account, but instead with financial struggles and living paycheck to paycheck. A few months earlier, the idea of giving 10% of our income to the church would have been absurd to me. But I was starting to learn that the more faith you put in God and the more you give back to His kingdom, the richer your life could become. My wife and I wondered what it would look like. What it would do to our finances. Would we have to cut back on certain things? Would it affect paying off our home or saving for retirement? Even with the fear of the unknown, we were dedicated to trying the tithe, so we did it. It was met with a bit of apprehension on both our parts at first, but I knew that God would provide. Leading up to trying the tithe, my wife and I were both working at jobs that were slowly defeating us mentally and emotionally. Her job was unappreciative, and some days her co-workers' actions were just downright unethical. I was unable to find comfortable work-life balance, working 12- to 14-hour days on salary, having to leave for days at a time for training and meetings in other states. It was exhausting and taking a toll on our marriage. The week after we decided to try the tithe, I was hired to a new job, closer to home with no traveling required. The most impressive change came when we received our first paycheck to my new job. Although I was making less money hourly, I was actually making more overall with overtime. How much more? 10% more. (laughs) God had a plan, and now I did too. Tithing became a top priority for us. It is the first transfer of every paycheck. We are so fascinated at how impeccably the timing was, we wondered what else would happen. A few months later, my wife found a job as an operations manager for a startup business. Our worries about finances were gone. Our time together has become more abundant. God is handling it all for us. Little did we know the plan God had laid out for us that would go beyond our finances to our time together. Believe it or not, living generously is for your benefit. And it may not always result in a better job or unexpected income. It may not always be financial, but it is far more fulfilling and far richer way to live. So on that little paper there, on a scale of 1 to 10, when it comes to generosity and giving, do you do it generously? Do you do it at all? Or do you do it grudgingly? The reason for all of this, Paul says, this is what he ends it all with. Teach them these things, he says. Command these things to them. Let them understand these things so that, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Did you bow your heads with me? Financial health, I think, is one of the most important goals you can set for your life because it affects so many other areas. I will also tell you it is probably the most difficult area to challenge. It will take constant attention, constant assessing, constant evaluating because you're swimming upstream. But it is worth it. It will improve the quality of your life. So, as we close... Which of those three vital signs when it comes to financial health do you need to address most? It might be living within your means. It might be getting rid of debt. It might be just developing a generous spirit and giving heart. I'm going to tell you, you're not going to do this in your own strength. Yes, it will take constant attention and assessment on your part, but it will also take a strength that's higher than yours because we're swimming against a culture that encourages all the opposite. What I'd encourage you to do today is just make a decision about that. And and maybe one of the best things you can do is pick up one of these books and workbooks so you can get started and following through on that decision. But today, just for now, just a decision. If you're here and you're going to say, you know, in all honesty, when it comes to my finances, not very healthy. Some things need to change. Today, I'm making a decision to change some things when it comes to my financial health if I could pray for you, because I know you can't do this in your own strength, I would love the chance to do that today. And I'm going to ask you to do something we do every week. Just if you could use some prayer in this particular area, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment? And as you do, look up Catch My Eye too, because I want to acknowledge you and tell you I'm praying for you. Yeah, 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 hmm yeah. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, I, I want to be really, really clear. Because Mostly today, I was speaking to those who are, who are followers of Jesus Christ. And maybe for you, it's, it's a first step of faith. And, and I want to be really, really clear. This is not about earning God's favor. This is not about buying indulgences or paying our way into heaven. Jesus Christ paid the price in full on the cross. There is nothing more that needs to be done in terms of your relationship with him. All you need to do is acknowledge your need. And it's just simply saying, God, this is who I am with my faults, my failures, my mistakes, my struggles, my sin. I'm just bringing myself to you and I'm just laying it all at your feet. I'm saying, would you just take me as I am? Let your grace bring forgiveness and restoration to my life. I want to learn how to follow you. And for you, that's a first-time decision, a first step of faith for you today. Again, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Same thing, just raise your hand, hold it up for a moment, and look up and catch my eye as you do because I want to pray with you and for you as we close. Is there anybody? First step of faith. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Whether it's a first-time step of faith or a renewal or this one area of your life, it simply goes simply like this. Lord, here I am with my struggles, my faults, my mistakes, my failures, my sin. I can't do anything to change this, not on my own. And I can't go back and undo those pasts. I can just bring them to you, and I pray for your grace to wash over it all, that you would bring restoration, that you would bring forgiveness and healing. You would set me on a right path. And whether it's a first-time decision or, or just this one area, God, the prayer is the same. We can't do this on our own. We need you. So we're entrusting our lives into your hands and asking for your grace, your mercy, and your strength as we move forward in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.